cultural customs. And you get a place like Corinth, which was kind of the equivalent of Panama in our current world, where all parts of the world kind of came together and mixed every kind of practices available there. Uh, and, uh, and it was both an exciting place because of that, but also one that could be very dangerous for people that had no track uh, and, and no sense of their own integrity and their own right and wrong. Um, Paul was providing track for people. It was in the Greco-Roman period, the homosexual lifestyle was widely embraced. And, we, and, 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 there, was a lot right. of, and there was a lot of sexual right. abuse built around but that. Uh, what I mm -hmm. believe you said that he was coming from the prejudice of that society, mm -hmm. that society was not prejudiced against the homosexual lifestyle. They were embracing it. Therefore, how can it be a prejudice if from what he was writing in that period. Mm -hmm. He very much understood the homosexual lifestyle, and so therefore he was going back to the basics and saying that God preaches against it. So I guess my question is, how can it be, how can you say that it's a prejudice of, you know, taking that out of content, in the context and saying, well, it's, that's okay because it was in the prejudice of that society, when it wasn't a prejudice of that society, it was embraced in that. It was one choice in that society. You know, there were some people who did that, and people did, you know, and there were all kinds of exotic sexual abuses that would make both you and I blush. Uh, that were established, uh, or that a rich person could find somebody who would sell a body to try it out. And and, and uh, I'm fortunately not an expert in, in the, the bizarre behavior of the Corinthians, but I do know. A good part of what you're saying is very true. It was uh, there was a lot of wild sexual practice that was commonly done, uh, and Paul uh, certainly was against uh, sexual abuse. But I think, so why do you say it was a prejudice? I guess that's my question. So why do you say it was a prejudice? If it wasn't a prejudice, why would you say it was a prejudice? I, I guess I'm really not following you, and, and I don't know whether the crowd wants us to go around in a circle.
person was born with it. Yet, the God of the Bible has mentioned it as something that a person is not to partake of, it's an abomination, and so forth. Um, if it's something that you're born with, is there any other sin mentioned in the Bible that uh, God has uh, said you're to repent of or is an abomination that you're born with?
God has already won for us the prize, and so we need to simply move toward that which, you know, by grace and by skill and, and, and by our learning um, and perhaps by our emotion and impulse we see is, is, is God's hope for us all. If we're moving as best we can, simple though we are, toward that goal, then uh, the Christ is moving the other way and as the scriptures say, has already won the prize for us and simply waits for us to claim it. And I would, I would see that as kind of a overemphasizing the, the love of God and a de-emphasizing the, the justice of God. I've overemphasized the love of God all my career. <laughs> but uh, again, through the, the true biblical view of love would be that which seeks the greatest good for another. And I think we should look for direction in life from God and His Word and accept His guidance. Uh, rather than attempting to twist scriptures out of context uh, so that we can just get the, the divine stamp of approval on our own behavior. I had to make lots of changes when I accepted the Lord, and uh, I think the Lord demands that the homosexual uh, make changes in his lifestyle as well. We will, ladies and gentlemen, at this time take five minutes for Reverend Maxwell.
evening and what has developed is something uh, quite different than I'm quite glad for. But nevertheless, I'll, I'll give you some more food to thought, for thought. I mentioned Dr. Walter Wayne and, and his biblical study because I'm not a Bible expert, but I do carefully read those who are. Dr. Wayne said, there really is no biblical ethic, sex ethic. The Bible knows only one ethic, it is a love ethic, which is constantly being brought to bear on whatever mores are dominant in a given country, a given culture, and a given period. That's uh, a statement by an expert of the kind of uh, a conclusion that I would come to. Now I can imagine some who, uh, some of us who were confused by all the quotes and all the contradictions this evening, coming up to Jesus and saying, what We've heard all of this stuff. What's most important? And most of you here can say, as Phil has said, and I have said in the course of the evening, what is most important, Jesus said, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and your neighbor yourself. There's a great consensus here about that. That's the love ethic. Consider the primary biblical sources. We learn from what they say and what they did. Certainly, Jesus is the primary biblical source. Uh, it's all great. You go to Jesus, and if Jesus says it's in the, and it contradicts somewhere else, Jesus is right. Was he married? The Bible is silent. We presume Jesus was never married. Did he teach about sex? Well, he never mentioned sex as such. As, as such, he certainly did say that a man and a woman should be joined and become as one flesh, uh, but that certainly is not a sex man. And uh, he never mentioned it straight or gay. He talked about marriage, but most uh, uh, cases he was talking about the problems with marriage also, adultery, divorce, uh, and so forth. He attended the wedding in Canaan. Therefore, we have to say that our primary source, Jesus, uh, did not instruct us sexually or homosexually. Therefore, as, as we explore what the implications of what he did say might mean to sex, you need to be a little more open because you have to extrapolate from what he did say what how that reacts in our sexual lives and behavior. Paul of Tarsus is the second most authoritative source for Christians. Was Paul married? Bible is silent. Some presume yes. He did address sexuality. And he did address marriage. Was he for it or against it? Paul was really pretty ambivalent about sex. There were more important things for him. Did he address abusive sex? Yes, and he was against it. Did he understand homosexuality the way we do? I think the answer has to be no. And that's part of what you were trying to get at. Uh, were there other active sex abuses in his time? Another point that you were making. Yes, indeed there were. Are we bound to be against everything that Paul was against? No. 
inspires you is the fact that you might say that the hand of God was holding Paul's hand as, as he wrote those letters to the young churches struggling with how to be Christian in their time and place. There, uh, therefore, Paul's sexual opinions are at least debatable as, uh, as debatable as his opinions of women and of slavery. Some openness, therefore, is mandated with our second great source. The third level of biblical authority for Christians is the Old Testament. Uh, are the marriage and family practices and sexual mores of the ancient Jews for us? Clearly they're not. Conclusion, the Bible is not much of a sex manual. It is mostly silent, and much of what it does say is challengeable. Our biblical sexuality is mostly based on inference and post-biblical tradition. All those church, present church fathers still mentioned. So what, what difference, uh, what inference can those of us who seek uh, to follow Jesus take then? We believe that Jesus is the incarnate love of God, uh, of, of incarnation of the God of love and justice. And he came to restore relationships, not obstruct them. His death is considered redemptive, and that is when we don't, when we finally don't get those barriers down, Jesus can finish the job. So what would Jesus say or do with respect to this issue? Reverend Hernandez, uh, oops, I did it again, Fernandez, uh, knows uh, what he would do because Jesus has said it for him. I know what Jesus would do because he's done it for me, and most of you do also. Regardless of how he was challenged, Jesus would have shown the way to the God of love and justice by saying, follow me. And that is the biblical love ethic. Thank you very much. I'd just like to uh, again thank Farley for uh, uh, being so courteous and always a, a great guy. And you know, we have a big difference of opinion here. Uh, but he's been here, he's been very uh, courteous, and I, I just want to thank him for that. It's been an honor sharing the stage with him. But we do disagree. And I came here tonight not to give you the philosophy of Phil Fernandez or the philosophy of the latest liberal theologians. I came here tonight to represent the Word of God, the infallible and inerrant Word of God. Part of this debate at the base, I think, is the fact that Farley has a lower view of the Bible than myself. How Paul's prejudices can get in it. I don't believe that God grabbed Paul's hand and forced him to write the words, but God inspired him and guided him so that Paul's personality came out that God's word was recorded without error. That's the historic position of the church as well. He quoted from scholars who say that those passages aren't really talking about homosexuals per se, but other types. Uh, here again, I would disagree. And I quoted from scholars such as Thayer, from Thayer's uh, lexicon, and Strong, from Strong's the Greek Concordance, uh, from A.T. Robertson, Kenneth Weiss to take a, a back seat to no one in Greek uh, scholarship. 
At the same time, the historic church throughout the history of the church from the apostolic age to the start of the 20th century all interpreted these passages as condemning homosexuality. People like Augustine, Aquinas, John Calvin, uh, Martin Luther. Uh, but then it's only been as of, of late where some scholars have turned. And I believe it's because of uh, the, the pressures of being politically correct in our day and age. But I'm going to read the passage, and I want you to decide for yourself. I'm going to read one passage again. I read it earlier. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for the woman exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I believe that the biblical perspective on homosexuality is narrow and it is clear the Bible condemns homosexuality as sin. Now God is a God of love and he's called us to love one another. At the same time we need to recognize people are not experts on love. We are experts on sin. God alone is the expert on love. Therefore we need to turn to God's infallible word to see how love will respond to a given situation. And the God of love in his word, calls homosexuals.